Congratulations, Erica. We have finished our previous series that we were stuck in, a series on the Trinity, which one might have expected only to take three episodes because it's, you know, Trinity and all, and we found a way to extend into four and a half or five, depending on how you count. Uh, But congratulations to us. We moved on to a whole new subject. Uh, And where we want to spend some time today um, has brought back to my mind uh, the old TV show, uh, the old sitcom from the 90s, Seinfeld, which was famously called The Show About Nothing, uh, because Ah, we're going to be talking today about a notion that is, in some ways, the biblical equivalent of taking time for nothingness, rest, or or Sabbath. Uh, So we want to spend a little bit of time talking about uh, this, this idea that emerges in the Bible of Sabbath, and then maybe over a couple of conversations what it means for us, for people today, where the mm-hmm. wisdom is for it, what it should and shouldn't look like, how much I should feel guilty at night, whether I do or don't take enough Sabbath rest, and maybe the bigger, deeper roots of how the idea of Sabbath extended into a whole way of seeing the world for God's people. Yes. But, okay, that's getting ahead of ourselves. Let, mm-hmm. Let's start, like, let's zoom in and define terms in case not everybody listening is automatically uh, familiar with Bible speak and the notion of Sabbath or assume that it's a, a heavy metal band that involves Ozzy Osbourne. Um, so, okay, Sabbath, what are we, what are we talking about? Let's, let's just start there. What are we talking about? So Sabbath is basically rest. Okay. And if we want to start from a biblical perspective, then we need to start in the beginning. Okay. A um. very good place to start, says Roland Maria. <laughs> Always start in the beginning. Um, but, but seriously... The Sabbath concept is first found in Scripture in the first couple of chapters of Genesis. Yeah, and that this is an important place for us to note too. Is we, and we've talked before, and when we when we tackle the story of the Bible, the the stories that we get in the Bible are presented in a particular order, but that's not necessarily that they were all written down in chronological order, like sure. like somebody sitting down and going, "I'm going to write Genesis one, then Genesis two. Mm-hmm. But there were ancient stories well before anybody thought we should write this down or chisel it in stone uh, that were part of the stories of God's people. Mm-hmm. So we're going to spend some time talking about the way Sabbath is woven into creation in Genesis 1, and also we're going to spend some time, spoiler alert, for five minutes from now, uh, on how Sabbath appears in the commandments in the Exodus narrative. Yes. And it's not to say that, uh, that, 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 these are, that Genesis happened uh, or was written down first as a story, but to say these are two places we will first encounter the notion or the rhythm, you could say, of Sabbath mm-hmm. in Genesis 1, but just as fundamental to the idea of Sabbath is going to be what happens in Exodus when it becomes an actual carved in tablets of stone commandment. Um, but we'll start with Genesis 1. Yes. It's a good place to start. Okay, so you talked about Sabbath is rest, mm-hmm. and, and how does that show up in, in the creation story in, in Genesis 1? So in Genesis 1, you have the seven days of creation. Mm-hmm. And on the first six days, God creates things like the moons and the stars, the heavens and the earth, you know, humanity animals, fish in the sea, everything, and then suddenly we get to day seven, mm-hmm. and God rests. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. God takes a day off, yeah. per se, from creation. And, and I guess one of the questions we need to ask at, at the get-go, when we talk about God resting in creation, is uh, 
are, are we supposed to take that as a, as a statement about God and God's energy levels? Are we supposed to take this as, oh, well, God got tired. It must be very weary for God to make a universe, and therefore God rests because God is so tired. Oh, goodness, no. Right, and, like, no. This, I, and this may seem obvious, but this is one of those things we need to be clear about. Yes. Because yeah. the, the, way, the way the opening chapter of Genesis unfolds, it does have that pattern. There's evening, there's morning, there's evening, there's morning, and then you get to day seven, and God saw all that God had made, and it's good. It's not just good, it's good, good. It's tov, tov. <laughs> Tovu vavohu, I believe, is the Hebrew, which is a fancy way of saying really good. Um, but it, it's good, and the way it all hangs together, the way, you know, uh, the, the, the cycle of the water, the way that one animal, you know, is related to another animal, all these things are beautiful part of the cohesion, the, the, the shalom, to borrow another Hebrew word of creation. And then God says, it all hangs together, it, it's good, and now I will rest. Mm-hmm. If... If it's not that God's tired, why does God rest? Because God, um, I honestly think it's because God realizes that we need yeah. to take after that example. <laughs> yeah. You yeah. know, it's not that God is tired. Like, we get tired. Right. You know, at the end of seven days, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty tired. Right. You know, at the end of the week, I'm, I'm exhausted. And, yeah. oh, wait, Sunday's coming and I have to preach again. <laughs> um, you know, but... No, it's not that God is physically tired the way we get physically tired, but he knows that his creation will become tired. Yeah, and that notion, right from the get-go, I think is an important recognition that this is how the Bible works, that sometimes God does things, and that it's not about that God has the need. I mean, basically, like we've said before, any sentence that begins with God can't, you're headed in the wrong direction. Mm-hmm. Anytime we start with God needs to, no, we're headed in the wrong direction there. So it, the, the way Genesis plays out isn't that God is so tired and broke a sweat, and, oh man, making the universe is hard, I have to rest. Mm-hmm. But almost more like, I'm going to lay the foundation or this pattern or this rhythm into creation itself, this notion of seasons that come and go. There's time for work and there's time for rest, there's time for play and there's time for labor. That God intentionally does that and almost as if to say like, I, the only way you're going to know you have permission is if, if God says, I, I, I did this, I, I, I'm yeah. doing this. So like, I, I come to think about this, um, uh, this notion of, of Sabbath in creation in Genesis 1. When my kids were real, real little, when, when our son was, I don't know, maybe two years old, uh, at bedtime, he was convinced that when he had to go to bed, the grown-ups had a party downstairs. That, like It was like, you have to go to bed, but we get to do fun stuff. When really the fun stuff he was missing out on was folding laundry, washing dishes, and paperwork. You know, mm-hmm. like and, and there was an actual point, a couple of times we actually did this, where because he was so convinced that he was missing out on the fun stuff, we said... Okay, buddy, everybody's going to bed now. And so he went into bed, and, and mommy and daddy were going to turn off all the lights. We would go into our room, and we laid down, and we're all, okay, we're all going to be quiet now. And we wait for him to calm down to get it, like, okay, people are actually sleeping. I'm not miss a, up missing a party. And when things were sufficiently quiet, and he was sleeping or whatever, we got up and we went downstairs and did the work <laughs> we had to do. And it's not that we were lying to him. It's more like, okay, you need to understand there's this rhythm. There's work, there's play, there's, you know, mm-hmm. activity, and there's rest. And sometimes God does that same kind of winking sort of a, you need to know the rest is a part of how I've made you. This is how things are for you. It's time for rest. And that, that's at the heart of how the, the story of the Bible opens with there's this rhythm of work and rest and mm-hmm. that, that pattern that begins of six days on, one day off. Because God realizes you know, if, when we don't take that day off, mm-hmm. then eventually we're going to burn ourselves out. Yeah. And that that's a really important piece for us to be clear about from the beginning. That... 
the, the notion everywhere in Scripture where Sabbath appears seems to be that God's aware, God being the maker of the universe and all, seems to have some sense of its proper operation, um, that, we're, that we are amazingly rechargeable beings, uh, but that being rechargeable needs that when we are running on fumes, more stuff has to be put in, and that's yes. time for rest, that's you know, food for our bodies, that's air for our lungs, and that includes Sabbath, so that it's not a matter of... Um, being selfish when you rest, that, that's what refuels you to be able to function properly again. Mm-hmm. I, I heard a pastor when I was um, going through seminar, he used to talk about the importance or the difference in his mind between burning up and burning out. And he said, mm-hmm. you know, that a candle, you know, if, if, if it burns too hot or you get too much of that sort of liquid wax, it can snuff out the candle. It burns out before it had a chance to spend all that it had. And that that's really a sad thing for candles to have. They, they could have given more, but they burned out. Uh, and then instead the goal for us in life is to burn up, which is to say to burn slow enough and long enough that by the end of our lives we spend everything we have. There's this old line of Irma Bombeck's, I think she said, uh, when I get to heaven, when I get to see God face to face, I want to be able to say to God, I used it all, I got nothing left, I gave everything you gave me, I used up. And that's, that's closer, mm-hmm. to the, we're, so that by the end of a lifetime I've spent all that I had well. Sabbath is about that, preventing burning out. And that allows us then to spend ourselves fully, to give ourselves away fully in the long haul. Yeah. So, okay, so it it starts with this pattern in Genesis. Uh And it's a pattern that God creates not because of God's need, but because we need. And this may be a brief time of that to say, too, in Genesis 1, over against all the other pagan creation stories about, you know, the Babylonians and the Assyrians and the Egyptians had creation myths where their gods, like, did have to work really hard to make the universe. It's, Man, a, battle. it's a battle between the chaos yeah. monsters. And at the end of that, yeah, you bet Marduk or, you know, uh, Ra or whoever is going to be tired from after having to slay the chaos monster. You bet they're going to have to take some time off. But that's a different uh, a distinction mm-hmm. between the way the, the creation story we get in Genesis 1 is. And almost, almost as if you have to hear it as an intentional provocation against all those stories saying, no, 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 the real living God doesn't get all tired and have to fight anybody. No, the real living God makes the universe and then because we have this need of rest, God weaves that pattern of rest into the universe, but it's not that God's tired and yet God knows unless the buck stops with God and that God says, I rested, and we'll keep saying, no, rest is only for the weak. No, rest is for everybody. Yes. Uh, okay, so there, there's where it starts maybe mm-hmm. in, in Genesis 1, this pattern that's woven into creation. At the end of Genesis 1, Maybe because uh, God God doesn't do a whole lot of talking with humans yet, except for the initial creation act in Genesis one. We don't get a commandment yet. There's not a no. now you shall. It just sort of laid suddenly in the background of this is the way God makes the universe. That there's a pattern of work and, there, mm-hmm. and rest, work and rest, uh, six days and then this this day of rest. Um, it, it's interesting to me before we leave Genesis. Um, I've read this too many places to to remember where I first saw it, but it's an interesting curiosity that of all the ways we keep time and divide time up, you know, we do days, we do years, we do months, the only one of those units of time that isn't a natural phenomenon is the, the Sabbath pattern, that we wouldn't have invented this on our own. I mean, you can measure the day, because day to night, dark to light, is how long it takes the Earth to spin on its axis. A year, you can measure, and that's why Stonehenge, you know, sort of really, you can tell where the solstice falls again. Months, you can follow the cycle of the moon, all that kind of business. But there's this otherwise artificial-looking sort of, huh, that's interesting, this pattern. And yet, we do, scientists do say, that we, we are wired for patterns of rest and work. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't, maybe our DNA doesn't, 
codified into a ritual six and seven day, uh, six day, one day off kind of thing. But we do need those patterns of work and rest. We just need sleep every day, that kind of thing. They talk about circadian rhythms and how much we need daylight and darkness, that kind of thing. But th there's something special that stands out about this pattern that we wouldn't have figured out on our own. Uh, or we, we need sort of God to tip the scales a little bit and say, I'm taking a day off. <laughs> So that, that's where Genesis goes. Where, where do we find Sabbath? Where does Sabbath take us from there? Okay, so the next time we really see Sabbath coming up in Scripture again is in Exodus and Deuteronomy when it comes to the law. Um, I'm, I'm sure a lot of our listeners are familiar with the Ten Commandments. Okay. Um, not necessarily the Charleston Heston film, but you know, the actual Ten <laughs> or, Law. Or for some people, that was their introduction to the actual <laughs> commandments. Was that, you know, that time yeah. when Charlton Heston came down with those big uh, rock and he, and he broke them, and then he had to go right. back up and get them fixed. Um, and one of the commandments that I personally, for a long time, I was really bad at breaking mm -hmm. is the idea of taking this, you know, keeping the Sabbath holy, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. taking that day of rest and uh, keeping it as a time set apart for God, set apart to rejuvenate oneself and to be prepared to go back sure. into the working world. And this is maybe a moment to talk about the, the way that the setting becomes important. Okay, mm -hmm. we talked about creation, the setting is, you know, making the universe, uh, and that there's this idea of God sort of arranging the universe from the beginning in this pattern of work and rest and work and rest. When we get to Exodus, uh, and again, sometimes we sort of disconnect and, and forget them. The Ten Commandments are set within a larger story. Yeah. And it's the setting of the people of God, the Israelites, being slaves in Egypt. And they have just been freed from slavery. And after 400 years of living under the thumb of the oppressive rule of Pharaoh, one Pharaoh after another after another, sort of keeping this system of slavery in place, they have to learn how to be free. They don't know how to be free. They don't know how not to reduplicate what they came out of in slavery. And it is sure as heaven they did not get a Sabbath when they were slaves oh, in Egypt, yeah. right? And... That's another important piece of this. And the backdrop is Pharaoh's way of doing things is he doesn't care if you burn out. I mean, Pharaoh's just like when the slave runs out of energy and dies, we make more slaves, you, you, we mm -hmm. get more slaves. And they keep on building always more, always mm -hmm. more. That Pharaoh, I mean, for 400 years, had literally beaten into them a sense that your worth revolved entirely around you making enough bricks to build me my pyramids or treasure cities. And then when you were done doing that, then you'd have time, you'd have to go work your own fields, you could... Uh, you know, barely subsist on stuff you could eat, and then you you know collapse from tiredness and sleep, and then do it all again tomorrow. Yeah. There was no day off in the Pharaoh's Egypt slave system. No, you can rest when you die. Yeah, well, exactly, exactly. Yeah. And and even at that, because Pharaoh claimed to be a god who had you know cahoots with uh, gods of the underworld, it was if you ticked off Pharaoh in this life, he's going to see to it mm -hmm. that uh, the gods don't send you to the right place or the right part of the underworld. I mean, like Pharaoh ruled the whole system by fear. In this life, do what Pharaoh says, or else he's going to send the army mean to kill you and uh, do it else do what Pharaoh says or else in the next life he's going to have like, the gods get yeah. to there too and over against that there's this I mean really radical notion of we're going to create a new kind of society where every six days we stop and we discover the world doesn't fall apart when nobody's making bricks. I mean, like, that, that I think you have to hear as the backdrop. Otherwise, from the get-go, we're going to hear the commandment about Sabbath is, look how God creates all these weird ritualistic rules, and that's mm -hmm. not how it's meant to be heard. No, yeah. it's meant to give them rest. Yeah. I mean, they've been worked almost to death for the past, mm -hmm. four, you know, and many of them to death for yeah. the past 400 years, and now all of a sudden, they are serving a God who's not only rescued them, from that slavery, yeah. but it says, I care about you enough to say, 
you need to take a day off. Yeah, yeah. You know, Pharaoh's been working you seven days a week, 24 hours a day for the past 400 years. Now you deserve some time to rest. Yeah, and, and beyond just deserving in the sense of you worked hard enough to earn a day off, but I made you to have this amazing yeah. rest yeah. in the beginning. Um, and that Pharaoh was abusing you all this mm-hmm. time. That, I mean, that's an important recognition. And, and the thing that in some ways kills me because it says so much about human nature. I mean, you might think if you had lived under a horribly oppressive regime all your life and you never had a day off, you might think, we're going to invent a system where we get days off. And yet that God has to command it is that God's well aware that on our own we're going to slide right back into that mm-hmm. same kind of a system. And so often in the scripture, so often in the, in the Old Testament, God has to ground the people's new life in light of, you remember what it was like when you were slaves in Egypt yeah. and how miserable that was. And now when the tables are turned and you have your own land and you have your own place, don't you do that to anybody else. Mm-hmm. So it's good news. I mean, the commandment of Sabbath is good news for people who've just been freed from slavery in the news of nobody's ever going to do that to you again. I'm, I'm start, starting out the new system of one of my commandments, God says, is nobody's going to make you work forever and ever and ever. There's going to be this pattern of rest. That's the commandment that comes from God. When it comes from the horse's mouth, that's how it goes. But it also has this edge of one day when you are in this land that you're going to come to, and one day you're going to be the boss, one day you're going to be the farmer who has employees, one day you're going to be the person running the shop, you have to give rest to the people who are your employees, yes. the people who work for you. And that it becomes both a gift, a blessing, and a call at the same time. Um, and that's how it becomes good news for everybody. Uh, and that's important too, that when God gets the giving, the commandment about Sabbath, both in Exodus and then when it sort of returns in the round two, in season two of the reboot in Deuteronomy, um, God explains this Sabbath business isn't just for you, mm-hmm. it's for your employees, it's for your servants, your male and female slaves, it's even for your animals. I mean, there's mm-hmm. this sense of it's not just the bosses who get to take the day off, your employees get the day off. That, and then everything was shut down as a sort of reminder the universe isn't going to fall apart if we quit making widgets today. It was bricks back in Egypt, and whether it's bricks or wheat out in my mm-hmm. farm now, the world is not going to fall apart. There needs to be rest. Mm-hmm. That's a huge, huge deal. And Steve, you talked about how um, you know we, we tend to go back into these patterns of what we're used to. Yeah. And so I think about the story of the manna in, in Exodus. And, right. And so the people were out in the wilderness. They have no food. They're complaining to God. And so he sends this manna, this bread-like um, substance for them. And he mm-hmm. tells them, again, in keeping with the Sabbath, okay, you're to collect the six days. And mm-hmm. on the sixth day, you're to collect twice as much. So then on the seventh day... You don't collect anything. Yeah. That's another really important place where the Sabbath returns. And it's so helpful that uh, it's not just uh, written in stone as a, as a rule. As though what we needed was more people shouting rules at us. Yeah. But it's like, okay, here's the rule. But now I'm going to create a system where you can learn it by practice. And so, yeah, every day as the people are wandering in the middle of nowhere, what are we going to eat? And God says, I'm going to give you bread. I'll give you this manna uh, day by day by day. Except... On the sixth day, you'll get a double share, so you can actually rest on the seventh. And that by itself is sort of a miracle turned in on a miracle. Because, I mean, the bread out of nowhere, miracle number one, way to go, God. And then the other piece was uh, that if they hoarded more manna than they needed, it would get worms and, and would, yeah, would uh, get rotten. maggots. It would go rotten. And so... Except on the sixth day. Except on the sixth day. So that there's this sense of God's teaching a bunch of lessons all at once. That God's mm-hmm. saying, there's going to be enough for everybody. Everybody's going to get exactly what you need. Your whole family will get exactly what you need. You got a big family? Take more. You got a small family? Don't take any more than you need because there's going to be enough for everybody. Can mm-hmm. you trust me? And if they had to learn it the hard way and they would hoard it, it would go bad and they'd mm-hmm. discover, oh, I'm not supposed to hoard this. And, and yet, God 
suspends that rule, and on the sixth day, every day, double amount, and that won't spoil, because God's trying to teach them, look, there's going to be enough for everybody, and if you can trust that, if you really can trust that, then you don't have to hoard, and you really can take the day of rest as a day of rest, Mm -hmm. because you're no longer worried, "Uh uh-oh, there might not be enough tomorrow, and everybody else in this camp is a threat against me, they're trying to take my man, no, there's enough for everybody, that the whole notion of Sabbath only makes sense if you can trust that there's a God of abundance who keeps that system going, who's made a world where there's enough for everybody. Um, and this is maybe a point for us to say that, uh, even though we don't often think of it this way, that all the commandments, including the Sabbath commandment, only make sense in context of a God who is gracious and generous and provides abundantly. Mm-hmm. The Sabbath isn't just a neat idea somebody came up with and said, hey, what if we took a day off? Because, honestly, if it really is a dog-eat-dog world and there's not enough to go around, I could use every chance I get to take from you because otherwise uh, you're out to get me. Mm -hmm. Uh, And notice then that means that the whole notion of Sabbath rules out treating life like it's a zero-sum game. That my gain is your loss and your win is my loss. No! I mean, like, there are a million voices around us today sort of treating it like life is a zero-sum game. If they win, you've lost something. If you get enough, it means somebody... No! God's made a universe where there's enough. God's made a world where there's enough. If we can dare to trust that, I can pry open my grubby little hand and share, or at least not hoard, because it's going to go bad anyway. And when the day of rest comes, I can trust. I don't have to be secretly plotting and scheming how I'm going to get yours uh, from you. There will be enough for me when the, the, the next day comes, when the Sabbath comes. That's a big deal. That, 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 for me, was an important learning in my faith life to reevaluate, to re-understand uh, even even how to make sense of the, the wilderness years, too. Because I think for a lot of my life, I sort of heard the wilderness story as, this is punishment. Like, this is sort of like, uh, the people were bad and wicked, and, and therefore they're being punished having to be in the wilderness. And I think there, there's there's at least as much a dimension of, this is how God teaches them how to unlearn all that they had yeah. to experience in slavery. And maybe, as they get right out of slavery, they think, we're ready, take us out of the promised land, God. And God's like, you've just shown me, you weren't ready to handle it. Mm-hmm. Nope, we've got to unlearn. Uh, and the way that God does that is to take a whole generation of people. And so that, that meant, theoretically, there's a new generation of young, wandering Israelites who all their lives, their formative years, are learning, God will provide, there will be enough for everybody. I don't have to treat everybody around me with suspicion. I can trust there's going to be enough for me, and I can rest when the day of rest comes. Yeah. That's a big deal. So, okay, so... Yeah, yeah. So, uh, Genesis starts it off and says the whole creation is made with this underlying logic of work and then of rest. And then, uh, the commandment arises out of the backdrop of Egypt and slavery. Uh, and God's sort of saying, nope, uh, we're not going to do that old pattern of work until you die, it's going to be work and rest and work and rest. And then they practice it in the wilderness years. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then you get the, the people get into the land and... Eh, I mean, they, they kind of sometimes do okay at keeping Sabbath, and sometimes they don't, right? Yeah, I mean, they're they're kind of like me, where <laughs> <laughs> right? you know they, they they keep it, but they they don't. And um, I mean, in the, in the practice of, of the weekly Sabbath, you know, I'm not sure how much evidence we have of how well they kept mm-hmm, that. Mm-hmm. But then there's an expanded Sabbath that God then again place, um, places as a commandment to the people called the Year of Jubilee. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that, um, and so in the Sabbath we've been talking about people and animals and, and workers, you know, bosses and employees, everybody gets rest. But it, in the Jubilee, that's a rest 
for all of creation. Yeah. It's not just the laborers and their animals, but it's also for the earth as well. Yeah, th- that idea of a period of work and rest gets sort of uh, duplicated and, and writ large. At first, there's every seven days there's a day of rest, but then the Bible commands sort of two, the, the Torah commands two further layers of Sabbath, you could say. Every six years, there's supposed to be a seventh year that was a Sabbath year, and then every seven Sabbath years, there was a year of Jubilee. Uh, we may have to spend more time in depth talking about what each of those things meant, but the idea was that Sabbath wasn't just a weekly thing, but sometimes you need bigger, longer rest as well. So what was supposed to happen in the Sabbath year? Everything got rest. People got rest. Um, the land got rest. And also, um, you know, sometimes you, you had to sell your land to provide mm-hmm. for your family. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But the idea of, of land in Israelite culture, I mean, land is your wealth. Land yeah. is what, what you, you know, it's been passed down from generation to generation. It's supposed to stay within the family. And so every seven years... It's every seven years was the, the Sabbath year where you let your fields lie fallow. Yes. Every, every seven Sabbath years, every fiftieth uh, year is a jubilee where the, the jubilee. land got brought back to its original owners. Yes. yes. Or at least it was, it, that, that's what's commanded, right? That's what's commanded. <laughs> and that's really where we, we, at least from the evidence that we have, was not they weren't practiced agree with that. so yeah. well. Yeah. And, and this, is, this is the point to, to note here, that the idea of Sabbath, which again, hard enough just to take a, a day of rest every mm-hmm. six days. But then every seven years, the land's supposed to rest for a whole year, and they're allowed to eat whatever came up as volunteer crops, but they're not supposed to work the land again. Yeah. With the notion, not only that we need rest, but the animals need rest, and the land itself. I mean, mm-hmm. Farmers know this as well, that you yeah. need to do crop rotation or whatever so the land doesn't get depleted. Uh, and that God cares about that as well. But slaves are supposed to be set free. Even though God's commandment, don't have slaves again, if, even if somebody sold themselves into debt slavery as well, that's supposed to last for seven years or less and then get canceled. Yeah. Uh, with that sense of nobody's supposed to be stuck in that sort of at the bottom of the, the heap forever. That, that was a radical notion. And then every 49 years, every seven Sabbath years, uh, was supposed to be a year where not only did the land rest again, and God was supposed to provide a super good harvest two years before they could be living off it for mm-hmm. two years, uh, and death were canceled. But then, as you say, the, any land that had gotten foreclosed on goes back to the original family owners so that you don't end up with groups or people who are stuck on the bottom forever. They yes. don't have the cycles of poverty of what can never get a toehold and get a fresh start. It was sort of God's way of, from the beginning saying, we're going to not do what led to slavery in Egypt in the first place, yeah. right? And, and that, that may be a piece of the backstory to remember. That at, at, in the, the story in Egypt, uh, before we get to Moses, uh, uh, back at the very, very tail end of Genesis, a famine comes in the land of Egypt, and when nobody has any food, the people of Egypt sell their land to Pharaoh, and he claims their land, and now nobody owns it, and then they're trapped in the cycle. They don't have any way of providing for themselves. They're completely dependent on Pharaoh to provide for them, and they don't realize they've sort of sold their futures mm-hmm. into Pharaoh's hand. That makes it a lot easier for Pharaoh to now um, you know, stomp on them and enslave the Hebrews, that kind of business. And part of what's going on in the Sabbath year and the Jubilee year is we're not going to do that as far as Egypt yeah. anymore. We're, we're not going to... And in order to make sure we don't end up with people stuck on the bottom forever and ever and ever, whose kids are like, well, I'm sorry, kids, you would have had a hope a hundred years ago, but your you know, dear great-uncle you know, lost the farm when we had a bad crop and tough for you. But that there would be this reset button every 50 years that no family, no, no, no tribe, no clan, whatever, mm-hmm. would be stuck permanently and never be able to sort of climb back up. Yeah, there was never meant to be a class system yeah. within the Israelite nation. Right. Yeah, you know, they were all equal because everybody had, every tribe had their 
portion of land. Right. And, and they were supposed to keep that. Right. And this is maybe a hard thing for us to wrap our brains in because one is you say we tend not to live in a culture where we think of land quite that way. I mean, no. Yeah. Uh, unless one is a farmer these days, uh, we tend to think of land simply as the spot where my house is, and we judge land in terms of you know how many decorative trees there are, whether mm-hmm. there's enough room for a pool or something like that in the back. But especially in in the ancient world in, in Israel, land is is not just wealth to pass on to the next generation, but but land is how you eat. Land it's is life. yeah, land is how you live. And so I raise crops, and that will be what I eat and then what I feed other people with and that's how we keep living and if I lose that then I'm gonna you know I'll sell myself into debt slavery to earn enough money to feed my kids and Mm -hmm. how do you keep it so that uh, people aren't stuck in that pattern every 50 years it resets is at least how people were commanded to practice it yeah but you know people are people right right and we get greedy and and it doesn't happen right so so that's that's another piece that is a sad twist in the story is that by the time you get to some of the late prophets Jeremiah and other folks mm-hmm. uh, and things are not going well for the poor people of Israel and Judah Israel has gotten conquered by the Assyrians and the uh, people of Judah are on their way to being conquered uh, and sent into exile by the Babylonians and when that's on the verge of happening one of the things that uh, the prophet Jeremiah's book has is this sort of oblique reference to you're going to get carried away out of your land and God's going to give the land rest for all the years you wouldn't take a Sabbath year. Uh, and so, at least as Jeremiah tells it, uh, they go into exile for 70 years because for 490 years they wouldn't give the land rest they didn't practice Sabbath, uh, Sabbath year. Um, and that God's sort of going to get the, let the land rest one way or another. But one way or another, God's going to get what God wants. The question is whether God has to do it the hard way or not. <laughs> And I mean, thanks be to God that God's willing to do things that need to be done the hard way if necessary. Um, But that's an important recognition. Even though there's this command, we've never been good at keeping the commandments, especially when they hit our pocketbooks, right? Oh, yes. And that seems to be the the, the big issue, that -hmm. that again and again and again, when the prophets raise the question of Sabbath, it's uh, the the people seem to be greedy and like, we could make more money if we were closed for business, or we could make more money if we didn't have a day off, or I could be amassing more wealth then. And God's voice seems to be, from the beginning, there are some things more important than making a buck. There's something more important than getting ahead. There's something more important than having a bigger pile of manna to hoard because mm-hmm. it will all rot eventually. Um, and the people, again and again, seem to say, we know better than you, God. I mean, thanks for the universe and the world that you made us. Thanks for the promised land, but we can handle it from here. Yeah. But, the you know, if you spend all your time working, 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 working just to, to get ahead and to make, you know, eventually... Just like in Pharaoh's Egypt, you're going to work yourself to the point that you have all this money and you're gone. Yeah. And you have nothing to spend on. And so you end up with other voices sort of on the fringes of uh, the Old Testament. Uh, Voices like, um, sometimes the prophets will go here or the voice uh, in the book of Ecclesiastes that sort of take a look and go like, what do you got if all you got is uh, wealth and money and then you come to the end of your life and go, boy, I wasted it all. I didn't enjoy a single day of it. Um, That... God's been saying this all along, and that's part of what the notion of Sabbath was. It was primarily, first and foremost, uh, rest. Mm-hmm. Don't work and discover the universe doesn't fall apart. Enjoy the universe and the creation God has made. And you might want to say thank you to God who made all this. But, but notice in all of this, the primary thing is this idea of rest. And we haven't even gotten yet to the idea of you're supposed to go to church or go to worship somewhere. At some point, somewhere along the way, people said, well, if we're not working, we could be thankful to God and gave us all this stuff. But the initial commandment isn't spend a certain amount of time singing hymns or with candles or an organ playing yeah. or something like that. The fundamental thing at the beginning of Sabbath is work and rest, work and rest, work and rest. And then zoomed out to 
once a year letting the, the whole land uh, recharge and every 50 years letting things reset. We'll have to follow up on the how, how going to church or worship get entangled in all this and where is it helpful and where is it not helpful. But at least for, for right now, for our conversation for right now, we've sort of d- done the view from 40,000 feet up about Sabbath mm-hmm. and uh, at least where it shows up in the, the Hebrew Bible in the Old Testament. Uh, so maybe this is a place for us to take a Sabbath rest here and we stop <laughs> for a, a week uh, in, in our conversation. We'll resume after an appropriate Sabbath rest ourselves uh, with more conversation on Sabbath and maybe where Jesus enters into the conversation next time around. Sounds like a great plan. All right. Thanks for listening. See you later.